0: you're listening to orange blaze a florida trail podcast
1: yeah so the Mount to sea trail just to give a little bit of background um it is in my home state or current state of north carolina and the trail actually starts at Klingman's dome and goes uh east or depending on which way you're hiking it west across the state all the way to uh uh, the largest living sand dune at Jockey's Ridge uh, State Park. And honestly, it's a uh, 1,175 miles. And I've known about the Mountains of Sea Trail. I mean, you can't not know about the Mountains of Sea Trail when you live in the state of North Carolina. But I was so focused and fixed on you know, completing the Appalachian Trail um, I think I was blinded a little bit to what was right in front of me,
0: you know, in my home state. That was Julie Jester Gayhart and I'm Misty Ridley Little, your host for the podcast. I'm excited to bring this conversation with Julie, who many of you may know if you listen to her podcast, the Jester Section Hiker podcast, over the last few years or have followed her on social media. Jester is a long-distance section hiker and has completed the Appalachian Trail through section hikes of varying lengths. She has moved on to almost completing a second section hike at the AT and has begun section hiking in the Mountains to Sea Trail, in addition to a plethora of day hiking. More recently, Jester has become a hiking safety advocate, and we talk about that, her podcast, and much more in the episode. Jester was a delight to chat with, and I know you'll enjoy hearing her enthusiasm come through the episode. Also, our deepest apologies for being terrible hikers and completely blanking on Earl Shaver's name about halfway through the episode. I'll just go ahead and blame middle age on that one. All right, on to the episode. Okay, perfect. Okay, well... Thanks for coming to the podcast, <laughs> um. So, so, Jester, you just got back from spring break, uh, and you were hiking in the Smokies. I think that's what you—that's what you were doing, right? Yeah. Well, I did a little, uh, some hiking.
1: Um, I went up to, uh, Mount Pisgah, which is actually off of the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is close to the Smokies. Okay. Um, I wasn't in the Smokies and then, um, I did some hiking, uh, in the Rhone Highlands and it
0: was, it was uh, snowy, muddy, wet, and cold. It was great. Oh man. Uh, yeah. April and up there sounds fun, but also miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you never know what you're going to get. You could actually
1: be 80s and burning up, or you could be in the 30s and snowing. So April's that transition month. And you know, it kind of can stay like that in May as well. I think people forget that uh, Western North Carolina, there's a lot of, I think there's 46,000 foot peaks so uh yeah it could be cold all the way through mid-may usually
0: wow yeah no i don't ever think about there being so many six thousand foot peaks over there i mean think of Clingmans and uh mount mitchell and stuff like that but i don't think of there being more than that in my head so <laughs> well <laughs> so it sounds like it's uh it's definitely a very wintry area to live in i know are you from north carolina originally
1: no, I am not. I actually grew up in Dayton, Ohio, so I am a Buckeye. Go Bucks. Um, I know people in North Carolina are going to get upset and you people in Florida <laughs> or Texas wherever you are, they're going to get upset. Um, but and then I went to college in Tennessee and after college, um started uh, a career in the hospitality industry. I was managing hotels in North Carolina, so um, the education route came later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you are a, you're a teacher. What, what grade level do you teach in subjects? So I uh I have
1: actually been an educator for almost 18 years and I work in uh, at my school it's called the career technical education department um a lot of uh people know it well back in my day we called it vocational ed yeah yeah and uh I work directly with students that are not necessarily on a college route Um, either somewhere along the way they decided they don't want to go to college or somewhere along the way they don't have the GPA. Um, and kids that want to go either directly to the workforce, they want to go to a trade school. Um, they want to learn a craft. And, uh, yeah, so I work with juniors and seniors primarily and try to figure out, uh, what kind of life they're going to have after the four walls of protection is what I call it in high school.
0: <laughs> yeah. So is that how the hospitality industry, is that how the hospitality industry over, uh, laid into education? Do you teach hospitality services? Or, well,
1: I actually so at my school we have um we actually have a culinary school, we have uh engineering, we have uh marketing and business, and I'm in the marketing business side of oh, okay uh career technical education, but um yeah, so hospitality and tourism actually played a huge role because I actually taught that when I first started. Okay,
0: yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, that sounds and it it seems like it affords you a very flexible lifestyle, which means I mean, you're you're hiking during spring break last week, you're hiking in the summertime, you get to go and do a lot of different things. And uh, I know I know the teaching comes with a lot of uh, pitfalls and traps these days, but it still has a lot of of interesting benefits that you, you seem to utilize well.
1: It does. And, you know, a lot of people don't know this because I haven't spoke on it a lot. Um, I typically just say it. I, I'm an educator and I move on. But back in 2005, 2006, when I really wanted to start pursuing um, hiking the Appalachian Trail, I mean, back then, I don't I never called it section hiking or anything like that. I was like, I, I just have to figure out how to hike the trail. But I was also very career driven. I wanted a career. I didn't want to just quit my job. And um, I was like, wow, there's a brand new high school being built not far from my house. How do I get into the high school? And I really never thought anything about it. I was like, well, education, they have their summers off. They never have to worry about uh, working over the holidays. And, um, a friend of mine called and said, Hey, I'm going to go tailgate at a Kenny Chesney concert. You got, (laughs) you want to come? And I was like, "Uh, okay, we'll come. Uh, so anyway, I met, um, at the time, one of the assistant principals at the new high school that was built three miles from my house at, at the Kenny Chesney concert tailgate party. And I was telling her I was wanting to get into education. And I'm not kidding. When I say two weeks later, I had a job in education.
0: Wow. Wow. So, (laughs) Talk about a transition there. (laughs) I mean,
1: seriously. I mean, I didn't, I was like, whoa. You know, at first I really didn't know what I was getting into. It It was really one of those deals where, you know, I had the customer service background. I had a marketing background. I had a business background And they were wanting someone to teach courses in that avenue where, you know, hey, teach the kids how to fill out a resume, teach the kid or uh, how to fill out a job application, teach the kids, you know, essential skills when it comes to uh, interviewing and how to interview, how to dress for an interview and things like that. And I said, okay, I could do that. No problem. And uh, here we are almost 18 years later.
0: (laughs) Well you mentioned you know getting into hiking the Appalachian Trail around that same time period Now were you already into hiking before that or was that a new from moving in north North Carolina?
1: No okay so my I call it my hiking career my hiking career let's see prior to I'll say late nineties early 2000s um. I was into nothing but going out, having a good time, drinking, smoking, all that good stuff. And, um, in two early 2000 or late 2003, um, the Charlotte marathon, uh, actually went by my neighborhood and I was like, Oh, these marathoners aren't quite the people that I, you know, you, you visualize a marathoner. It's like this skinny dude wearing short shorts, And, you know, they're finishing the marathon in like two and a half hours. And, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to run the marathon next (laughs) year. And all my friends were like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But literally a year later in 2004, I ran the Charlotte marathon. Oh my God. Um, drank no water, ate nothing. It was, it was a terrible experience, but that led to me getting into running which led to me getting into trail running mm-hmm. which led to um oh well i could actually hike faster than i can run <laughs> right. <in the> trails <laughs> so then i just really started exploring you know more of north carolina the trails the trail systems And realizing that I wasn't that far from the Appalachian Trail, but I've I've known about the Appalachian Trail since I was a kid because my dad talked about it. Hmm. And I just, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, well, I'm just going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Don't know when, don't know how. And then just through a series of events um, and meeting some other individuals that were interested in hiking, I had three other girlfriends that somehow I conned into going on a week trip on the <laughs> Appalachian Trail, and uh, yeah, that was in 2006. And ever since that, we were horrible, we had stuff dangling off our packs, we had bear canisters. I mean, my pack probably weighed 50 pounds, it was the old traditional story, yeah, carrying too much, <laughs> scared to death, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, it all kind of started from there,
0: yeah. And so, I guess you took summers off to go to hike. High- bigger sections of the trail over the years. And that's how you made it happen.
1: I did. So in 2006 was the start that was, we did a week and then um, the same group of girlfriends, we went back, we perfected our gear. I mean, we spent an entire year, like training uh, perfecting our gear. Cause we were going to be better and we were, um, our gear was a little bit lighter. Uh, our shoes were different. Um, And in 2007 is really when I thought, you know what, I could do this. And I never really considered myself a section hiker or a through hiker. Um, I just considered myself a person who wanted to complete the Appalachian Trail. And it wasn't until the summer of 2008. So the girlfriends all dwindled down and it was it was left uh, me and one other girlfriend So again, we planned our yearly trip out on the Appalachian trail and that summer down at the Natahala outdoor center, um, my girlfriend and I, we had done like a 17 mile day. We wanted to get down to the NOC. We wanted to eat and all that wonderful stuff that comes with it. Well, we got down there and the NOC was closed and we Eh. couldn't get any food (laughs) and all that stuff. And, uh, there was a gentleman down there and he said, Hey, this young lady, is going to be coming down the trail tomorrow morning. And, you know, like you gals, it's unusual, you know, to see a female on the trail. And we were like, Oh, well, you know, tell us more. And he said, this young lady is getting ready to set the female, what's known as a fastest known time um, (laughs) on the Appalachian trail. And you guys definitely want to meet her tomorrow morning. So me and my girlfriend, we were like pumped. We were like, wow, what's this about? This chick's going to be coming down um, and we're going to meet her tomorrow morning. And so we spent the night down at the NOC the next morning, we were up, we were ready for her to come down the trail. And this chick comes down the trail. She was tall. She was slender. She was moving <laughs> fast. Uh, she stopped at this vehicle and they were doing like this whole NASCAR, like exchange packs, get her water, get her food and slam her off and off to the trail. And me and my girlfriend were over to the side and we were like, Hey, you know, like yeah. idiots over here <laughs> and, you know, we met her and, you know, said, Hey, you go girl. And you could do it and all that kind of stuff. And then after she went through, we'll come to find out it was Jennifer Farr Davis. <laughs> <laughs> what an introduction to that. <laughs> so I was like, that is it. Like, girl power, I'm going to finish this trail. And really after 2008, that is when I set my mind to, okay, I got to get serious about this. It really started being more strategic, you know, the following years. Instead of doing a week, I started doing three and four weeks at a time. And my longest summer out on the trail was actually in 2015. I did about a thousand miles. Oh, wow. Okay. That summer. So starting out, it was a week or two. And then, um, you know, I would just built up every summer because during the summer, you know, I had other, you know, small jobs going on, you know, I still needed to make additional money and 2015 put in a thousand miles and then finally finished in
0: 2017. Man. So about 11 years, right? Yeah. So it was 12 summers. 12, yeah. 12 summers. Okay.
1: And I tell people like, people don't stay married that long.
0: No. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, was you know, definitely a commitment. Well, I, you know, and I remember on our through hike talking to section hikers and, you know, they, we, you would hear of these gold guys out there, one or two week vacations, and they spend it out on the trail every summer. And, for like the last 20, 25 years. And, you know, I couldn't imagine doing that. I mean, now I can, cause I'm on the other side of it all. And I see that. And I see why life has to make that be the way you like that Appalachian trail. And, but just, I just think about the whole mental and physical aspects of having to gear up every year to go do that. Like how hard was that for you?
1: It's definitely taken its toll over the years. I mean, I think in the early years, I was so just pumped and like excited and, you know, totally had the wrong gear over the years. But, um, I think for me, probably the number one toll that hiking all those years is, is my feet. Yeah. Um, my feet have really taken, taken a beating. Um, so I have to be, very careful and, and very diligent and baby my feet now. Um, but I, I think that's just all the miles um, because in addition to, you know, hiking the AT in the summer, I wanted to take all my friends out. So like on small little weekend trips and things like that, I would take, you know, uh, family out. I would take friends out. I was just inviting people to go hiking all over the place and, i when i finished the trail in 2017 i started i made a huge mistake i started adding all the miles up that i had already repeated again
0: oh you right yeah. yeah
1: so i have the trail done again except for pretty much new hampshire and maine oh wow <laughs> yeah so i know insane that is insane
0: <laughs> you've almost section hiked it again Twice. Yeah. 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 Are you going to, do you think you'll try to finish those miles up to have a second hike? You know, I, right now, no.
1: Um, I, I say no. Um, I, I always leave it on the table um, because there's just so much more I want to do. Yeah. Um, like one summer I spent the summer, my girlfriends and I, we went and hiked the Wonderland trail. Mm-hmm. And last year I gave a John, the John Muir trail ago, and that didn't really go very well. Um, in 2018, I spent the summer like a month, uh, in Utah and Zion and places like that. So I really want to, but I struggle with, am I going to do that just to say I've done it twice or am I going to do that because I want to do it right. right. And right now I just, it's not in my heart to do it. Right. Well, but I that mean, could change like in a week or two, you know what yeah, I mean? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's not like those, those, you know, right now those states and those trails is there and you know in 10 years you could be like well you know I'd rather go do that so it's always there for you
1: it's always there and you know truth be told those are hiking wise you know they're the hardest states Yeah. yeah and you know it was easier 10 years ago to go from the classroom the next day go up Katahdin And it's not so easy for me now. So I need to have some miles on my legs before I go into New Hampshire and, you know, go into Maine. So that's the other thing. Um, You know, I need to be in somewhat of shape to go up there directly from, you know, teaching in North Carolina. And here I come to the whites. Right. So
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and speaking of, of other things you want to do, I mean, you've been doing the, the Mountains to Sea Trail in sections as well. And that's, I guess, become so important to you, too. You're, you've joined the Mountains to Sea board. So, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about that trail, because it, it also seems to be catching on in the hiking community, too, lately.
1: Yeah, so the Mountains to Sea Trail, just to give a little bit of background, um, it is in my home state or current state of North Carolina and the trail actually starts at Klingman's Dome and goes uh, east, or depending on which way you're hiking, it west across the state all the way to uh, uh, the largest living sand dune at Jockeys Ridge uh, State Park. And honestly, it's a, a 1,175 miles. And I've known about the Mountains of Sea Trail. I mean, you can't not know about the Mountains of Sea Trail when you live in the state of North Carolina. But I was so focused and fixed on, you know, completing the Appalachian Trail. um, I think I was blinded a little bit to what was right in front of me, you know, in my home state. And COVID really um, steered me toward the Mountains of Sea Trail, if that's, you know, if that's one way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, during that time, at, you know, at the beginning of COVID, all the trails were closing down, you know, the AT was shutting down, mm-hmm. sending people home, the PCT, all the major, you know, national scenic trails were saying stay off the trail and, and all that stuff. And I've told this story uh, several times, but I got, somehow I got an email from Kate Dixon, the executive director um, at, of the, at the time of the Mountains of Sea Trail Uh, She has recently retired. And in the email, the title of the email said, take joy in the open trail. Oh, And I just (laughs) like absorbed and gravitated to that. And it made me research more about the mountains of sea trail. It made me dive more into, you know, kind of what was going on. And I was like, "Whoa, this trail's open. It's in North Carolina. It's in my state. It goes across the state. Of course, I'm going to give it um, some time and somewhere in my research, I found this book, uh, the 40 great day hikes that are, you know, on the mountains of sea trail that go across the state. And I just made up my mind that I was going to do the 40 day hikes and I was going to podcast about each hike. And I called Kate Dixon and I said, Hey, do you guys mind if, you know, I mention your book, if I read some of the, you know, information out of the book and they were like, Nope, go for it. And uh, I said, Hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And she ended up (laughs) coming on the podcast. Um, and I actually just started formulating a relationship with the mountains of sea trail. And then about halfway through, uh, completing the 40 day hikes, I got another email and they said, um, wow, do you mind if we put your podcast on our website that you're out here doing this? You're actually, you know, giving a lot of information, you know, as you're out here hiking. I said, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, for sure. Of course. I I was going to say no, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but, and then I finished the 40, uh, hikes and I just really, my heart really turned into, wow, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I was supposed to volunteer. This is where I'm supposed to, you know, give time outside of hiking. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, if you'd have said a year ago, I was going to be asked to be on the board, I would have said you're nuts. Um, but I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. So yeah. it's only fitting since I'm on the board that I like finish the trail, right?
0: Right. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, you know, listening to, I had summertime time on uh last fall oh, man and is he, he not a coolest dude he is what? a cool guy and he talked about the mountains to sea trail and i mean it's just all of his hiking and and you know you know that trail has never been one that i've always thought well i'll go hike it but now i'm like maybe i will go hike it it sounds you know 1100 miles you get the mountains you get the lower piedmont areas you get the ocean it's it sounds amazing it's so
1: different and You know, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to hike a trail that has road walks. And I know the Florida trail, um, you know, has plenty of road walking. And now my answer is different. I didn't have the right mindset. You got to have the right
0: mindset. Yes, you absolutely do. (laughs) That is for sure.
1: And, you know, I was your typical, you know, hiker. Oh no, I don't hike all the roads. That's not hiking. And I'm like, sure it is. It's, it's, it's what you experience. You're going through small towns, you're going through small communities, you're meeting people that embrace the trail, you're meeting people that want the trail to go through their small towns. Um, Yeah, I mean, it just brings a, a whole community uh, economic impact that when you're, you know, and I don't mean this bad when you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, you don't think about.
0: No, yeah, because you're you're tucked away in the mountains so much more. And I think that was one of the complaints of um oh my gosh, the name is his name is totally blanking. So what's old. Um, what's his face? The first through hiker of the of the Appalachian Trail. Um I will insert that name. <laughs> oh my <laughs> but, god, now I can't figure out. I, I know, I really was just like, tie, I can picture the book. Uh... Um anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that's his embarrassing book is called
1: walk with spring
0: walking with spring yes well and that was one of his complaints later in life was that when he had when he hiked the t- appalachian trail again was that all of those earl schaefer yeah, earl okay.
1: schaefer there we go we are going to be banned <laughs>
0: from anything appalachian trail earl we are schaefer. terrible hikers here <laughs> uh when earl schaefer you know that's what he's complained about was like now the trail is away from these communities is away from these experiences with the people and i think he you know was a little bit wistful that it wasn't the same experience the second time around so uh, there's definitely benefits and good things to both you know being away from everybody but also like I enjoyed walking through some of these quiet country areas in Florida Uh, you know it may not yeah sure I probably would have preferred trail a few spots but it was nice right yeah it was nice you get to see daily life of some rural Florida living yeah and
1: now my philosophy is you know you know, don't discount something that you don't know about because you really don't know, you know, what you might miss out on. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when your heart tugs you one way or the other, you don't want to miss out on something, you know, there's obviously something out there for you. You just, you don't want to miss out on it because you think you should be, you know, in these mountain ranges, um, you know, on, on various trails and, You know, I'm getting to, and maybe it's because we've both done the Appalachian Trail, you know, a, the world's most famous yeah. you know, hiking trail that, um, you know, we are venturing out to other trails and less popular trails and, you know, giving back in
0: other areas. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, I, you know, I am slowly seeing hikers giving back more i mean you you join the mountains to sea trail board and there's been a couple you know through hikers joining the florida trail board this recent year um so it's, that's really good to see because i feel like those voices are very you know people who have hiked it over long periods of time and who have intimately Uh, involved in the trail and finding their way to their way to give back but also to like give their input of like okay this is actually how it is from this perspective and whether you're a section hiker um or you know a long distance hiker it's it's much different than just like well I casually hike the trail and I'm on the board (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and I think hikers should give back um you know and and if you're really you know one of the things that surprises me and you know I've asked you know, guess this, like, um, I just assume that people join trail organizations when they're hiking a trail and they're talking about how much they love a trail, but a lot of people don't.
0: Yeah. 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 A lot of people do not join. I don't know, understand why I'm like, you can't just toss like 35 bucks to these groups. I mean, I know,
1: it's like, it's $35 a year and you're carrying a $600 backpack. I'm confused.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can opt out of the magazines if you don't want the mail. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean that's the simplest way to to give back, of course. And you know, I would love to. I see trail work being done on, the, on both the AT and the FT, and I'm always like, oh, I wish I can be. I wish I was there to help. And in um, this, and if you can't give back to any long trails, there's plenty of trails locally or parks that always need somebody's help, and yes. that's where you can give back.
1: Yes. There's always trash to pick up. That's oh
0: well, name. that's true. That is absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so you've gotten this hiking lifestyle. Like, how did you start your your podcast? How did the Jester Section Hiker podcast like form? Well, so <laughs> so my podcast, Jester
1: Section Hiker, is part of, and that's actually a although my trail name is Jester. It's actually a play off of just a section hiker uh, because a lot of time. Yeah. No. So a lot of times when people are out section hiking, they'll go, oh no, I'm just a section hiker. So, um, the owner of the hiking radio network, Steve Adams, he's British. And when he says jester section hiker, it kind of sounds like just a section hiker. I see. Okay. So it's kind of a playoff words, even though my trail name is jester. So, um, yeah, so my show is part of, there are six shows on the hiking radio network and mine is one of them. And it was just a series of events, kind of how I ended up in education. So somewhere around 2016, late 2015, early 16, I was introduced to podcasts and then I became like totally addicted, um, you know, to any kind of podcast I could listen to. And then one day I was just. You know, searching for Appalachian Trail podcasts, backpacking podcasts, hiking, you know, whatever mm-hmm. uh, buzzwords I could fill in. And uh, Mighty Blue's podcast popped up. It was Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. And I started listening to it. And then I started trying to find other podcasts. And I found several, but everybody was talking about through hiking. And, oh, I'm a through hiker and I have through hikers on. And so one day I just emailed Mighty Blue and I said, "Um, I know you primarily only have through hikers on your show. And in fact, I've never heard you um, interview a section hiker. Well, I completed the Appalachian Trail, too, but I did it in sections over, you know, 12 years. And maybe you should have on a section hiker. And he emailed me back and he's like, well, that should be you. You just need to come on my show. So I ended up going on his show Mm -hmm. and that was in 2017. And then two years later, he decided he was going to hike the AT again. And we kind of remained, I mean, we remained like email friends. We would email every once in a while or text each other. And then in 2019, I just reached out to him and I said, hey, when you get to uh, Bland, Virginia, I'd love to come up and see you or get you some trail magic or whatever, And I never heard back from him. And then Hmm. like two days before he was going to be in Bland, uh, he said, hey, I'm going to be in Bland and I'm going to be uh, going and staying at Woods Hole Hostel. And I was like, I'll meet you at Woods Hole. So I went up for the weekend. We ended up hiking for the day. And while we were hiking, he said, I really think I want to add a section hiker show to the network. And I said, oh, my God, that would be awesome. There's so many section hikers out here. We were just talking, talking, talking. And he said, well, no, I want that to be you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, I know nothing. I mean, I listen to, I'm a serial podcast listener. <laughs> um, and so it just kind of went from there. And when he got back from his through hike, uh, he contacted me and we were originally going to call the show serial section hikers. Um, <laughs> and then we decided that really wasn't probably a good name. And he's like, let's just call it just a section hiker. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. So I had no clue what I was doing and I just went for it. I mean, I guess kind of like every other yeah. podcaster out there, <laughs> I didn't know anything about mics. I didn't know anything about, you know, I was supposed to wear headphones. I didn't know about recording software. And, you know, honestly, it just became, it, it's been learning another craft. Yeah. Um, you know, you become a better writer, you become a better speaker, you become, you know, a better interviewer. And it's almost like it's a whole separate resume now. I mean, do you feel that? Like no, that? I do. And,
0: it, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm introvert. I also tumble over my words. Uh, <laughs> I'm an introvert. So I still get a lot of anxiety talking to people, but it's helped me get over that. And, you know, can talk in public more about things. And it helps me organize. You mean you talk about planning? Like, you know, I go deep into like everybody's social media. If they've written a book, I make sure I try to read at least most of it. And, you know, and then occasionally people are like, I can come on tomorrow. I'm like, you cannot come on tomorrow. I know nothing (laughs) about you. (laughs) I need to do some research here. (laughs) I have given you a couple of weeks. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely like one of those tools. Like, and people don't understand like how much effort it goes into. And it's not like, not to complain but it's it's a lot of effort and you learn a lot and it's enjoyable to do but it's not like it's something you slap together for sure
1: no and i think i've added it up before on average now for me by the time you like, like we'll just use you and i for an example we reach out to each other we have like initial you know time texting each other or emailing mm-hmm. and sometimes i talk to the guest on the phone before oh wow wow so i can get kind of a little bit better idea, depending on my comfort level with the guest, I might Mm -hmm. talk to him on the phone and then I try to put, uh, some type of itinerary together. And then you actually do the interview and then there's editing process and then there's writing show notes and you don't want all your show notes to sound like all the other show notes. Um, so I figure it's about five to eight hours per guest.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah Would i you mean say i mean not on I average mean, on average that probably sounds right that doesn't include all the mental time i think about it too.
1: oh no no yeah, I mean, yeah you can't even add that up
0: yeah no yeah that's probably about about right five to eight hours um on average depending on you know if i'm going to read somebody's book or, or whatnot as well but yeah
1: yeah and i tell people i've made 120 dollars but I bought a $399 mic. So there you go. (laughs) I don't make any money. So you're doing better than me. (laughs) No, that's the only like, it's because, and I think Steve felt bad, you know, felt sorry for me because, um, you know, we asked for donations for the network, yeah, but all that goes to, you know, how it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm Yeah. You know, we use Lips and I'm not sure uh, what your uh, source is to put your podcast out there. You got your Lips and fees, you know, all this stuff. And the, since I'm part of a network, I mean, you multiply that times you everybody know, six, else. Everybody yeah. else. And it's like, oh, I made $120 in three years. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, it's, it's not lucrative unless you're, uh, you know, I don't know, a politics person or, or one of those other people that. On the main screen of iTunes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? I think it's it's been lucrative for me, not monetarily, not right. dollar-wise. Yes. Um, and I think you would agree on that. I mean, of all the people we get to meet, um, all the p- different people we get to interview, and I for sure attribute the podcast to me becoming a board member for the Mountains to Sea oh, Trail. Oh, yeah.
0: I can because see that if else. I didn't
1: have the podcast, I would have never... I may have done the 40 hikes, but I wouldn't have podcasted about it, um, or reached out for people to be on the show. So for me, it has given me an entire different, different, uh, network community people that I network with. Um, and you included, I mean, we've had cover. I feel like you and I didn't something happen with COVID. Should I bring that up? like you <laughs>
0: oh we were just chatting uh, you were talking about it was had to do the at in there oh it opinions. did that's right yeah, we were just yeah. chatting on the background we don't need to go into it but we were just no, I was we curious but, yeah <laughs> you know but the thing
1: was is that i think you and i disagreed on something but we didn't hate each other for it yeah
0: right absolutely yeah you know, well i was, was just curious like time. where you were coming from because yeah. i didn't understand and that was it it was just like all right sounds cool i don't even know where i was
1: coming from at this point it all seems kind of silly but- i know yeah you know, that whole time people were just getting so angry with each other and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. I even had, um, and I, and I can say this, the owner of the Quarterway Inn. in her name's Tina. Um, she actually lives here in North Carolina. She even reached out to me and she's like, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, let, let's rethink this. And we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, this network of people just because you have a different opinion doesn't mean you know you have to end up hating each other or anything like that so it, yeah. it's been really awesome
0: well and in and, and in no other life but i email people out of the blue and say hey i really like what you're doing do you want to come and chat with me and i also I know, I and know. i and i also think of it i was listening to something completely not related to hiking it was this um it was this old man being interviewed in the late nineties. He was a conservationist in Dallas and he did a lot of conservation work in the East Texas. And I didn't just listening to him give this oral history. And it kind of put a little bit of a context into podcasts in some podcasts in some of these realms. Like it's an oral history of these hiking trails from a whole bunch of different perspectives. And you know, thinking, if you think of it like that, you're getting people's opinions or experiences, you're documenting it. And it's just like one component that, you know, we never used to get to see that part of it.
1: Yeah, that is so true. I love that. That is true.
0: That so is true.
1: I, and it's I, like, it, you know, you're documenting verbally, you know, all these different realms of people. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. And, yeah it has opened a lot of interesting avenues for me in different different, i mean it's not it doesn't have to do with money it doesn't even have to do with like making me be do anything better in life but it just it's the connections like you mentioned that i i treasure a lot so
1: yeah yeah and it's connected us because i know you're connected with Lori as well yeah 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 Lori, man i love her (laughs) yeah she she's the great connector with all of us (laughs) yes
0: um okay so we're talking about podcasting talking about sea trail um you mentioned earlier too you're talking about ways to give back on the trail you we talked you kind of mentioned picking up trash is a great way also just to like keep keep your hiking trails locally clean but i think that goes back into the other aspect that you've recently adapted is hiker safety um and that seems like a new focus of yours now was hiker safety something that you really paid attention about when you first started hiking or is this something you've developed over time like the importance of hiker safety um in your own life and then what you've seen on social media
1: I think well for me um I can certainly say in the beginning years um you know, I I didn't focus on hiker safety I just carried what I thought um I was supposed to carry and I followed a lot of like um adventure racers and ultra runners and I would just carry what they carried in my pack but geared it towards like backpacking um so that's kind of where I just did what they did and these ultra runners that were going and running like 100 mile races they would have like checklists um and I would say well if that's what they need for 100 miles in this is what I could you know <laughs> get by with for 100 miles and it worked uh for a while but um in 2014 I actually had um I fell and dislocated my shoulder on Mount Musalak And for the first time I had to initiate my spot device. Um, And I always carried a spot device um, because my family required me to do so when I went out on the trail and I didn't think anything about it. I thought, oh my God, this is just like another thing. But um, my family wanted me to be safe. So I did so. Um, And then in 2014, I dislocated my shoulder And luckily there was an emergency room nurse, talk about trail magic, um, on the trail that actually put my shoulder back in on the trail. Wow. Wow! (laughs) And then that really, the state of New Hampshire really began my thought process in 2014 about being safe on the trail because I had let the spot off and because, um, the local New Hampshire, um, uh, wildlife game and nature, whoever they were going to send Mm -hmm. out, um they wanted my pack they wanted to go through it and I was like you can have it I'm never hiking again and (laughs) um so they came back over they they said you know everything was good in your pack and in the state of New Hampshire if you're negligent we charge you oh wow call search and rescue and I had no idea so after that is when I really started diving into okay well if the state of New Hampshire says they're good with what I have in my pack, then maybe I need to really take a look um, and see what I have in here. And really, the only thing I changed from that was I did add a uh, bivy sack instead of a um, an emergency blanket. Mm. Um, so then, you know, fast forward. So I really started thinking about hiker safety after that. Like, OK, you know, when you get hurt on the trail, you start, you know, it always takes. Yeah. An incident or something like that to Mm -hmm. make you start thinking about something. Then in 2016, um, a really good family friend of mine. In fact, my sister, my younger sister's best friend, her son went missing on the Pacific Crest trail and he's still missing. Um, He went missing in Washington near Snoqualmie pass or the white pass area. They think on the PCT. And ever since then, um, I was like, no, we, we have to do, we have to be better, Mm -hmm. um, about hiker safety. And, you know, I just started, you know, telling people, you know, if anybody asked me, I would, you know, tell the story about Chris or Mm -hmm. his trail name was Sherpa. And then when I started the podcast, um, you know, I had a more of a voice about hiker safety. Um, but it really wasn't until, like COVID, when people were, you know, talking about, you know, leave no trace and everybody went, leave no trace and pick up garbage. And I was like, what about, you know, being safe? You know, it's cool to be a safe hiker too. Um, <laughs> and then last summer, just out of nowhere, I was actually on the mountains of sea. Somebody has a hiker safety account on Instagram. I should follow them. And I couldn't find anything. I mean, there are search and rescue, you know, groups and, you know, firefighter organizations and things like that. Um, And then I was like, well, I wonder if there's a website, Hiker Safety, there's nothing. So that day I started, you know, Hiker Safety on Instagram. And then, you know, I bought the domain for (laughs) hikersafety.org. And I just really didn't know what I was going to do with it. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start putting out information you know, be safe on the trail, carry your 10 essentials and why people should do it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, you know, marketing, you should have, you should have principles, you should have taglines. And then I just came up with prepare, practice, promote, you know, prepare, and then practice with your gear. Because the number one thing people say is, well, you could carry all you want to, but if you don't know how to use it, yep. so that's where practice came from, practice how to make a fire, you know make sure you have batteries in your headlamp or, you know, make sure you have an external battery. So you always have a charge. Um, and that it just kind of went from there. I was like, and then people were responding to the Instagram and I was like, wow, this is interesting. So I was like, you know what, as long as Chris is missing and even after he's missing, um, I'm going to promote hiker safety because all of that. If he would have had a spot, if he would have had a charger for his phone, um, you know, a lot of things that happen to people are preventable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there are circumstances where you could fall on trail and that's not preventable. Um, but there are a lot of things that are preventable, like, you know, not running out of water, not running out of food. You know, people go back and forth all the time. Should I carry my rain gear? Should I not carry my rain gear? Carry your rain gear it's not that heavy yeah um so that's kind of a really long story on how hiker safety got started
0: (laughs) no I appreciate it I mean I think it pairs like it pairs really well with leave no trace and I you know I you know going back to COVID I I mean it's hard to say going back to COVID when we still have COVID but in those early days just how how many people went outside because that was the safe place to be and And how many people were just vastly underprepared and how crowded places got and, and just seeing how, you know, and I saw this before on day hikes, way before COVID, when I would just see people like going in popular areas, like wearing terrible footwear, no water going down to this waterfall, you know, what are you doing? Okay. But you're going to hurt yourself. (laughs) And, you know, just the general public just doesn't have that awareness that, you know, we do as experienced hikers, but we all begin somewhere. And how can we make that more accessible to people?
1: Right. It really, for me, it really hit home when um, I interviewed Chris's mother, uh, Sally Fowler and, you know, she's the mother of this hiker, you know, he's off having this wilderness experience and he's like, I'll call you every week or every two weeks. Um, you know, he's having the time of his life, on the PCT and, you know, she just thought that's what all hikers did. You know, you, don't worry about your phone. Don't carry a spot device. Don't worry about a Garmin in reach, you know, nothing's going to happen to me and I had, I've had that attitude. I'm just going out for the day. Nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it did, he's missing. Yeah. And you know, and he went out in, he went out knowing there was going to be a storm
0: Mm.
1: and it's like, nobody knows why. And it's just, and then, um, Another gentleman, right around that same time, um, also went missing on the piece. Well, the following year, spring of 2017, David O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, he is down. Um, uh, I hope I don't get this wrong in the Mount San Jacinto area, okay? Where hikers go on the PCT and they're in the desert, and then all of a sudden they're getting out of the desert, and it's like. Snow and ice, and they need crampons and they need ice axes. And I don't know how to use an ice axe. Yeah. Um. You know how? You know how do we prepare? Um. And you hear every year something happens to somebody on the PCT. Um. You know where if they would have had microspikes, it might have been a different story. If they would have known how to properly use an ice axe, that may have been a different story. So, um. Yeah, it's sad.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I, you know, I obviously can't speak for Chris and his experience because we'll just never know, but I think hikers in general, they think, well, they've got it. They've got to be tough. I'm a through hiker. I can do this. When there's nothing wrong with staying back for half a day and letting a storm pass through and then going up, there's nothing, there's no reason you've got to make those miles. I mean, even if you're, <laughs> even if you're FKTing something, there's no reason you need to put yourself, in any kind of danger, just to prove a point and make yourself feel better right. than yeah, because you're through hiking or whatever, right?
1: And a startling statistic, and these aren't you know when I started hiker safety, I I haven't reinvented anything. I just put information out there that I've learned from um, search and rescue, you know, people that work for search and rescue or search and rescue um, organizations. I had. Um, Danny bow on my podcast who uh, teaches search and rescue. She's a search and rescue educator. She teaches it. She's, you know, all levels of SAR that you could reach. And she said something that's very startling. You know, it made me think, you know, most hikers are found within a two mile radius of where they go missing.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think of Jerry Largay. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about her when you said that I mean, a
1: half a mile.
0: Yeah. From the shelter. And that, that kills me when I think about
1: that and just. I mean, if she'd have had a spot device or a garbage in reach. Yeah. It I makes mean, it's so sad. It's. I mean, it's gut wrenching. It's gut wrenching. Yeah. And we don't know circumstances. I could certainly get to circumstance where I lose my bearings. I lose my mind. And I, you know, I can't compose myself and calm myself down. You know, we just don't know what our circumstance would be. But man, if you have that garment or you have that spot, there's always that button. Right. You but know, you might be waiting four or five hours for somebody to get there, but. You, you, interviewed,
0: you interviewed Jan, right? I can't think of her. A uh, jaunting
1: Jan. Yeah. Yes.
0: Well, and she had an incident a few years ago, too, where she fell. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. that hit home a lot for me because, you know, I follow her blog and I see how you know she's a well prepared hiker and she does all this stuff by herself and she hikes with other people too. But I, it, that that drilled into me that I need to be a lot more prepared than sometimes I am.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, she, yeah, I mean, Jaunting Jan, my goodness. I mean, yeah. the Miles that she's put <laughs> in, and she is so meticulous. Yeah. You know, with her logistics, you know where she's going to be, and you know, she's always, you know, she has a a group of, um, people around her where she'll leave her itinerary. That's the other thing too. Um, and I've done this too. I've gone off and nobody knows where I went. Um, even locally. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've just said, I got to go on a hike or, or whatever, and that's not good. Always leave a plan with somebody. Um, you know, I think about the, uh, uh, Aaron Ralston, I think is his name in between a rock and a heart. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yes. (laughs) I mean, he just went into the canyons where Mm -hmm. he went all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. That book is crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen the movie?
0: Yeah. I read the book and then I watched the movie (laughs) because like, I've got to read this book first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, so I don't know. I, you know, I just, I just trying to get the word out there and if anybody wants to talk about it and I do appreciate you having me on and talking about hiker safety and I don't want to scare people and I don't want to put it down people's throats, but I just want people to be aware, you know, you could prevent things.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I listened to several of your episodes focused on hiker safety and I will, I'll try to put those in the show notes of specific episodes for folks to listen to if they want to know a little bit deeper into that, but maybe you can, uh, you know, what are your favorite hiker safety, you know, essentials? I mean, there's obviously the 10 essentials and I can link to that from the mountaineers as well, but you know, what is the ones that you've relied on in the past What's what's always in your backpack?
1: Well, I guess I have to say the 10 essentials are always in my backpack. Um, but I will say some things that, are always all by backpack as well as well that are not included on the 10 essentials I always have a whistle um I think a whistle is vital and when I fell and dislocated my shoulder the only thing I could reach was my whistle and I started blowing that thing like crazy um and actually somebody came running down the trail Hmm. um you know, wanting to know if I was all right. Cause I was doing, I was, you know, I, I think I was blowing it three times. I, I'm really not sure. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think I was just blowing it like crazy. So, you know, in addition to the 10 essentials, I do always carry um, a whistle. I do always have a, some form of battery backup, even now on day hikes, um, I'll carry like a battery backup, like a 10 milliamp probably the lightest one you can get they have five milliamps uh backups um because i always want to have at least one or two charges for my phone i'm just mm-hmm. a freak about it because you know when you're out in the backcountry, your phone can get sucked out of juice like real quick yeah i mean even if you don't have stuff you know turned on mm-hmm. it just sucks the battery dry um and you know i don't rely on my phone for navigation i always have a paper map even though I might have far out or Gaia or something else on there. Um so uh let's see a whistle, an external battery, I always have my phone. Um you know one of the 10 essentials is uh extra clothes. I always have my rain gear no matter what. I always carry my rain jacket and my rain pants. Um and I know people are like, well, you're right, you know, down in Florida, you're probably not really thinking about rain pants, right? I mean, it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for summertime, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But if something happens, um, I know for me, if something, if I've been sweating to death and I'm burning up all day, I can sit down for 15 or 20 minutes and it doesn't matter that, I mean, I start getting chilled mm-hmm. I do and too. Yeah, if you fall and you twist your ankle or you break your arm or something, you're going to start getting chilled while you're waiting because you don't know when search and rescue will show up. A lot of the search and rescue individuals are volunteers. They might be at their job. It could take four or five hours, you know, for somebody to come in and get you. And the thing to think about is, do you have in your pack something to sustain you you know, for a certain amount of time for somebody to come get you. Mm -hmm. Um, And something I thought somebody told me a long time ago, always be able to get warm. Um, And I I don't know where I learned that a long time ago. So I always had this thing in the back of my mind, even before I really learned what the 10 essentials were is I got to be able to get warm. So, you know, since I used to run marathons, I laugh about it now you know, at the end of a marathon, they always gave you, they never called it an emergency blanket. They just wrapped you with this piece of tinfoil. Right. Right. So I always carried one of those, (laughs) um, before I learned about an emergency blanket. So, I mean, you could be pretty innovative, Mm -hmm. um, without going specifically down, you know, the 10 essentials, the 10 essentials are just a guide. If you don't, you know, if you haven't really spent a lot of time perfecting your gear, um, and the 10 essentials I like to follow are from the mountaineers. Right. Um, because I look at it like this, if they, if mountaineers perfected something in the 1930s, it sounds pretty good to me.
0: Right. Uh, And it's still
1: valuable today. It's still valuable today. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, you don't need this. You don't need that. And, I just go back to the thing with the Mountaineers and the 10 essentials is, you know, they say to ask yourself two questions. Can you prevent an emergency and respond positively or, or, and the second thing is, can you safely spend a night outside? So when you think about your day pack, do you have enough stuff in there where you can get warm and spend the night outside?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, my day pack needs an overhaul for certain. And well, on my backpacking, for sure, I can handle that. my day pack needs an overhaul. I do not always carry my rain gear. I do not always have something that would help me stay, stay outside. And you
1: know, the thing is, I just started, you know, it, the most horrible thing is uh, trying to figure out what to get a hiker for Christmas. Um, and the Ten Essentials make really good stocking stuffers. Yeah. I mean everything about the ten essentials. It's like okay, you know, a map, a headlamp, you know, sun protection, you know, first aid. You know, get your get the hiker in your life a bunch of band aids. Oh yeah, uh, oh. some glucotape, tape, a body glide. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Um, a little sixteen dollar knife that has scissors. I carry a little Swiss Army knife. It's got scissors, a file, and a knife. Um, you know, waterproof matches uh yeah extra food extra water extra clothes noon you know get your get the hiker in your life some electrolytes yes <laughs> <laughs> you know so you can have fun with the tid essentials And if, if you really look at the list you, i mean nine times out of ten, if you hike a lot you have this stuff yeah already yeah it um, just doesn't always
0: make it into my pack I definitely keep some of it in, but I don't always keep, you know, certain items in. And what I
1: did is because I day hike as much as I backpack, if not more these days, I just have two sets. I mean, we're hikers. Come on. We, we, we geek out over gear, get two headlamps, you know, get two knives, you know, they'll go buy everything in one day, but it's like, all right. You know, the next time somebody wants to buy you something for your birthday, say, oh, man, this $25 headlamp
0: would be great. Yep. It works perfect. So- <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, definitely you have inspired me to uh, definitely be better about my day pack uh, essentials and fix that up a little bit better um you know i don't carry a knife but i should and i mean the thing is i'm usually hiking with my husband and i know he has a knife but at the same time what if we're separated what if he's going for uh, help uh, what if, what if i'm by myself yeah, yeah exactly so definitely things to think about um and you know just things that i think we all just we loosen up on an occasion yeah, and, we take
1: it for granted yeah. yeah i know what i'm doing yeah yeah you take yeah. it for granted it's just like you know, and I, I do this all the time, and I will probably continue to do it. You're getting low on water, and you only have a few miles to go, and you pass water, and you're just too tired or whatever, and you should have gotten water. Yeah. We all do it.
0: Yep. And then you're kicking Get yourself. Get the water. <laughs> yep. Because the next source isn't as good, or it's gone. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, Julie do you have any final thoughts? I mean, we've covered so much. You do so much too, for the hiking community. Um, you know, it's great that there's a section hiking podcast out there and I think, you know, I think other hike podcasts are slowly being better about covering section hikers. Um, you know, I, I have, but probably not as much as I should. Um, do you have any final thoughts through all of this, what hiking has brought to your life? Cause it has really, you know, brought a lot of great things to you.
1: Wow. I mean, now that's a that's a question. Well, first of all, (laughs) let me say uh thank you so much um for having me on your podcast. Um, I really love what you do. Um, and I know you have another podcast as well. So, and you're um, you know, you've been doing this for a while. So thank you very (laughs) much for that. Um, and I just want to say, you know, the moral of the story is I just want people to have a great time wherever they're hiking. And for me, hiking has kind of turned into my, you know, my purpose, my, it's what I do. Um, And sometimes it's not actually hiking on a trail. It's volunteering. It's, you know, giving back. It's, you know, working on hiker safety stuff, or it's making different connections. And I think something that I've learned over the years, even from podcasting is hiking is way more than just, putting your feet on the
0: trail. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, where can people find your podcast and, you know, anything about hiker safety, all of your internet handles? I mean, I'll put this in the show notes, but if you want to run down those. Probably the best
1: way is, um, they can go to jestersectionhiker.com. Okay. And jestersectionhiker.com has everything. Um, if they want to, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram, it's jestersectionhiker. Um, I think even Facebook is gesture section hiker, but I've got everything linked to, uh, that website, gesture And that would be awesome.
0: Yep. I will get everything up in the show notes. I'll put all the 10 essentials, some of the, my favorite podcasts I've listened to of yours over the years. And, uh, folks can find that on the podcast uh, website. And, um, thank you yeah, again and, for um, coming and chatting yeah, with and- me.
1: Yes. And that's hiking radio network.com. If you want, if, if people want to go to the network and uh, go directly to the podcast, Jester section hiker, it's hiking radio network.com. And hopefully I haven't confused everybody.
0: Okay. So go to hiking radio network instead of Justin Sec- just section hiker.
1: Yeah. Just have everybody do that. And then they'll find everything there. That'll be better. Okay.
0: Perfect. We'll do that. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, you know, appreciate hearing your voice on the podcast, uh, on my feed all the time and, you know, hearing, and I love to see what you share on Instagram as well. And, um, you, you bring a a lot of good things to the hiking community. So thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Misty. I really appreciate it. That's it for my conversation with Jester. You can find the show notes for the episode and where to find her podcast and information about hiker safety at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com and follow the podcast on social media at Podcast on Instagram and official orangeblaze podcast on Facebook. All right, that's it. Until next time, happy hiking.